Well, some of you may be familiar with the musical Fiddler on the Roof, uh, the story of a, a Jewish uh, peasant uh, named Tevye and his wife Golda, who lived in a small village in Ukraine, uh, Anatevka, under the Russian Tsar back in the early 1900s, uh, a time of, of great upheaval and, and change. And Tevye described life in his little village as precarious as the perch of a fiddler on the roof who's trying to scratch out a tune without falling down and breaking his neck. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, and how does one keep your balance in this world? Tradition. And the story centers around how his family, his uh, Jewish cultural and his religious traditions were all challenged uh, by his daughter and by the circumstances around them. First of all, his oldest daughter, Teitzel, Teitzel I think I pronounced it wrong, but uh, first rejected the custom of uh, getting married through a matchmaker. Uh, the matchmaker would make a match and then the father has to approve it. And, and the father actually did approve uh, the match that was made, but Seitzel was not in love with this match that was made for her, who was an old man, a widowed, uh, but a rich man, so a good economic uh, match. She was in love with a poor tailor named Motel, and they begged Tevye's permission to get married. And ultimately, Tevye conceded because of his love for his daughter and uh, uh, they, he could see their love for each other. Then his second daughter, Hodo, uh, fell in love with a Marxist revolutionary person, Perskit. And, and so Tevye objected to that it's because they, they got engaged. Uh, and uh, again, his cultural uh, or his family traditions were challenged because Papa was the one who was supposed to make these decisions. And then they told him that they were not asking for his permission. They were merely asking for his blessing. And again, he gave in uh, because of his uh, love for his daughter and he saw their love for one another. And then lastly, Chava, the third beautiful, sweet daughter, fell in love with a Russian Orthodox Christian named Fietka. And they secretly got married, knowing that it would be unacceptable to both their families and the whole village. And of course, when Tevye found out about this, he pronounced her dead to himself. It was one compromise that he could not go to compromise on his faith. He was saying, if a man has to bend that far, he would break. And so, if you, if you get a chance, go and watch Fiddler on the Roof. Um, but anyway, tradition, tradition, family traditions, cultural traditions, and religious traditions. Now, not all traditions are always bad. Traditions can be good. It's good to have family traditions. It's good to have cultural traditions and also religious traditions. Uh, but uh, as we will see from our passage this morning, that Jesus was confronted by religious leaders of his day about their religious traditions. And from this passage, we, we see that religious tradition can have a very dark side to it. Um, this incident teaches us that religious traditions um, really sometimes lead people to supplant the Word of God with their traditions often results in people elevating their traditions to be superior in authority over the Scriptures. Or sometimes they substitute the, the religious activities for a true worship or true relational, uh, or true, true relationship with, with, with God. Uh, and so this was, of course, the danger that in the first century Judaism but I believe it's a present-day danger as well in many churches and for many individuals. And so if you are not in Matthew 15, please turn there this morning. 
Matthew 15, and our sermon is entitled, God's Word versus Man's Teachings. And so we'll read the first nine verses in, in Matthew chapter 15 and follow along as I read. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whatever, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we come and uh, we seek your, your help. I thank you, Lord, for the ministry of your word. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit that is active among us now, who is present among us now, uh, helping us, uh, opening our ears, enlightening our minds, Lord. Quicken our will, Lord, to, to hear and to understand, to understand and to believe, to believe and to respond to your word by faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So really we see this passage warns us to beware of the pious road to perdition or Beware of the religious road to ruination or the devout path to dis damnation or destruction. A path that will take you from the Word of God to the teachings of men. From the teachings of men to sin and hypocrisy. And that's what we will see this morning from our text. It will take, from the passage we'll see from a movement, a path from the text to tradition, from tradition to transgression, and also tradition to treachery. And we have to remember the context where we are in, in Matthew. Remember the first 10 chapters, Jesus was presented as, as the king. And then chapters 11 to 13, we saw the rejection of Jesus as the king. Chapter 14, we saw the, 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 the withdrawal, uh, really, of, of Jesus, often withdrawing from the crowds so that he could spend time with his disciples preparing, really, for the cross to come. And uh, during this opposition or time of opposition, uh, or starting from, from, really, from verse chapter 11, the religious leaders we find is seriously hostile to Jesus. They rejected him as a righteous man and they rejected him as the Messiah. They're accusing him of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners and of tax collectors. They, they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. You may remember the, the grumblings in the grain fields, the moaning at the mercy that he showed to the man with the withered hand. And they were plotting to destroy him. Uh, then they, they accused him of driving out demons with the power of Beelzebul. They were basically saying, you are from the devil. And Jesus, of course, uh, in return, exposed them for who they truly were. And he called them a brood of vipers. And really worse than the pagan nations, worse than the Gentiles in their refusal to believe. And so... Just the previous day, Jesus fed 5,000 people, and the people saw him heal them and, 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 and how he supernaturally fed them, and they wanted to make him king by force in John 6, 15. Uh, well, of course, the religious leaders cannot have that. They cannot allow that, and so they plotted. And so they thought, well, maybe if we could show Jesus to be a sinner, ha, huh? Then that would justify our rejection of him. Then it would strengthen our accusation against him, that he's from the devil, and that it would vindicate our claim that he is not the Messiah. And so for us to understand their accusation, we need to understand the cultural and religious traditions 
of that time. Traditions that they held very dearly and which they have elevated above the word of God and caused them really to transgress the, the very word of God and has led them to believe that their devotion to these traditions is what it means to be truly spiritual and what it means to worship God. And so we will follow this road and we need to be warned to follow the religious road to ruination from the text to tradition, from tradition to transgression, from tradition also to treachery. And so the first one I want to draw our attention to is from the text to tradition. Then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, Matthew was a gospel written to a predominantly Jewish audience, and so he did not elaborate on that. Everybody who would read his gospel understood it. Mark wrote to a more Gentile audience, and he gives us a little bit more information. In Mark 7, verse 3, we read that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And so here the Pharisees and the scribes come from Jerusalem to Jesus. And some of them saw Jesus' disciples not washing their hands before they eat or had a meal. Now, it is not stated as such, but, but I wonder if this is not somehow connected with the previous day, with Jesus feeding the 5,000. Did Jesus, did his disciples, did all the multitudes wash their hands before they ate? Well, nevertheless, the this, this Pharisees and the scribes came, and, and in despite of this wonderful miracle that they surely must have heard, Five, well, 5,000 people at the minimum were fed by five barley loaves and two fish. And all they got from that, all that they were concerned with was that they washed their hands. In their mind, Jesus can't be the Messiah if Jesus ignored the traditions of the elders. He can't be a righteous rabbi if he did not or does not teach his disciples to keep the traditions. And if he did not teach them, then he most likely did not keep it himself, and therefore he is a sinner. And so why is this such a big deal? Why, why, why is the washing of hands such a big deal? Well, for that, we need to go all the way back to the Babylonian captivity. Israel was exiled to Babylon because they were disobedient to the word of God and because they did not keep the stipulations of the covenant. And then when they return, starting with the priest Ezra and a number of religious leaders, they started to develop detailed rules and regulations. They started to study the scriptures and then draw out principles, rules, and regulations on how they could make sure that the people keep the law so that they don't break the law again and again be exiled or punished by, by God. And so these religious leaders uh, really function by a three-part maxim, if you like, uh, a motto. The first is they have to make a definitive judgment, meaning they have to really study the Scriptures, understand the Scriptures, so that they could then make application to certain situations which now arise for them in, the, in a different context in a, uh, than what they were before. The temple has been destroyed, and so they need to make uh, whatever they need to adjudicate, they need to draw it from the law. Uh, and of course, over the centuries, more and more of these rules and regulations were added. They were also to make many disciples, so they need to take what they have written, all these rules and regulations, and they need to teach it to their disciples so that Listen, this needs to go on into, in, into the future. So unless they have teachers who can teach this, then inadvertently people may sin against, against the law in, in, in the future. So you really need to have disciples and you really need to impress upon them these rules and regulations that we have come up with that will protect the nation. And thirdly, they were to make a hedge, to build a wall, if you like, 
around the law. And so they were afraid that by just keeping, just having the law and the regulations or the, the commandments of the law, that somehow people may inadvertently stray and break those laws. And so in order to keep them from that, they thought, well, we need to put a fence on uh, around the law so that they don't easily break the law. And so it's, it's like you have a... a don't walk on the grass, a sign. You, you don't want people to walk on the grass. So you put a sign up, don't walk on the grass. And so people may still inadvertently stray onto the grass. But then, okay, well, to prevent that, well, we'll put a fence around the grass. Now they can't break the, or accidentally walk on the, the grass. And so that was the idea. And so these rules and regulations were, were, were created, were formulated, were uh, really by deduction from the law, uh, you may that that was the main way in how they interpret scriptures uh, but through deduction. You, you remember I said earlier that Jesus' uh, uh, disciples didn't eat, therefore probably he didn't teach them, and therefore probably he himself break that. That is deduction. So they would look at the law as well and and make deductions. Ultimately, get to a conclusion that may not be the the, the truth, and and that is what what happened with these rules and regulations that. They actually, some of them undermine the law and even contradict the law, as we will see in our passage. And so the rabbis would study the law and make these deductions and as to how they apply to certain situations in everyday life. And really, ultimately, these rules and regulations amount to about 613 that were passed down to their disciples. And that's really what the word tradition means. It means to deliver or to hand over and so when it's used metaphorically of a body of teaching, it is the tradition, it is, you hand over this body of teaching from one generation to the next. And now over time, these rules and regulations really became more important than the law itself. The scribes and, 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 uh, and, and the Pharisees, like the ones who confronted Jesus, devoted themselves to studying these rules and regulations, uh, even further elaborate on them and the applications uh, of for everyday life. And so they would then quote prominent rabbis in the past and say, but this rabbi said this, so therefore this uh, is also an applicable. And, and it just went on and on and on. And so they would quote rabbis and, and ultimately leave the scriptures behind because they were so focused on these rules and regulations uh, that they had, the tradition of the elders. And one of the areas that the tradition of the elders sought to regulate in everyday life was that of cleanly, cleanliness. And so their concern was not so much about personal hygiene, but about ceremonial cleanliness, uh, uh, ritual cleanliness. Uh, and so because the law of Moses, the Torah, did not require the washing of hands before a meal. There's, there's no law that stipulates that. But they used the law that's, that, that is directed to the priest who had to wash their hands and feet before they enter the tent of meeting to serve the law. They used that as also, the, 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 which is in uh, Exodus 30, 19, and also the, the, the regulations about washing when you've touched something unclean. And from Leviticus 15, they, they extrapolated and elaborated upon them, built a fence around these so that ultimately it included washing your hands uh, before a meal. And so they held that in such a high regard that to break one of these traditions would, is equating it to breaking the law of God. Uh, and some of the ancient rabbis were really fanatical about this. One wrote, whoever eats bread without first washing his hands is as though he had sinned with a harlot. That's pretty, pretty intense. Uh, whoever makes light of the washing of hands will be uprooted from the world. Whoever eats bread without scouring his hands is as though he eats unclean bread. Another wrote, a person who despises the washing of the hands before a meal is to be excommunicated. And in fact, there was and, and a rabbi recorded for us who were excommunicated from uh, the community because he did not hold this in, in, in such this high esteem. 
And so the Pharisees and scribes, having had these traditions of the elders impressed upon them by their teachers, their rabbis, had moved away from the text, from the Torah, to the traditions of the elders. And they began to devote themselves in studying these traditions, these rules, these regulations, and not the Torah. They studied the exposition of their rabbis rather than exegete the scriptures. And so they came to believe the traditions of the elders regarding washing before meals were binding as if it was the law of God. And a failure to keep that was sin. Really, the word used there is to break. Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? means to transgress. And transgress is a, is a, is a term that is used when you violate a known law. It's a transgression. Sin is just failing to meet a standard or to, to, to hit a goal. But transgression is you. This is a law, and now I am stepping over that. I am transgressing that. And so they saw that them, these disciples, not washing uh, their hands was a transgression against God and highly offensive to, against their religious sensibilities. And a, and, a, and a leader, a teacher who failed to teach that to his disciples, huh, absolute disgrace. Um, such a man could never be a rabbi, lest the Messiah, the king. And so this was not a trivial matter. This, this was a serious confrontation, a serious attempt to discredit and destroy the ministry of Jesus. And the Pharisees had moved from the text to tradition. And, and, and though the law gave no commandment about a washing of hands, they made their traditions into a binding law. And of course, the Bible also teaches us that not all traditions are bad. The Bible speaks favorably of certain religious traditions. The Apostle Paul, for example, com uh, commended the Corinthian believers saying that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Similarly, for the Thessalonian believers, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And he then urged them, withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. And so really, you see the New Testament, especially the epistles, are uh, uh, an application of the gospel. These are the writings of men, the inspired writings of men. And, and what they teach has become binding to us based on the gospel. And so those traditions that are taught in, well, the principles that we have in Scripture in the New Testament are binding because they are directly uh, built on the gospel of Jesus Christ and applied under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so they, those traditions are not, when, when we use tradition in that sense, it's not bad, it's not evil. Um, but, and, and clearly, Paul, I mean, felt... He had to hand over certain authoritative instructions and practices, traditions to, to the believers, uh, even to Gentile believers, and exhorted them to keep the tradition which he had given them. Now the word of God is loud and clear that Christian believers are set free in Jesus. John 8, 31 tells us, Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And later, Paul applied these words to the Colossian church when he says, See to it in Colossians 2 8 that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So you are free. Don't bind yourself, yoke yourself again with the tradition of men, the teachings of men. And if you have, verse 20 says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? 
which deal with everything destined to perish with use, which are in accordance with the commandment and teachings of men, which are matters having to be sure a word of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and the severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so we are... We, we follow certain traditions, but it has to be traditions based on the Word of God. And so the question for us is, are we at risk of that? Does, that? does this apply to us? You better believe it. You better believe it. We have to, if, if, you, if you understand traditions here really as the teachings of men, uh, teaching by men and interpretation of Scripture, which are erroneous or wrong or goes beyond the Scripture or are added to the Scriptures, then that can become a tradition that is wrong. Uh, both for a church can adopt that, but also for individuals. And especially in our day and age, the individual, we live in a postmodern era where truth is defined as what is true is what I say is true. What I de determine is truth. Truth, the, the authority or the final uh, verdict about truth lies within me and each one of us. I will decide what truth is. There's no longer a, 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 an objective outward standard that people are willing to submit to. Truth has become a relative for, for the world, especially when it comes to religious and spiritual matters. And this is really what, what we see in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3, where a man who determines his own traditions believes, I will decide what is true to him. And 2 Timothy 3 verse 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickle, they have accumulated for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's an example of it. And our, our day and age is full of that today. And so the Pharisees and the scribes would study the words of, of the prominent rabbis, and they would discuss that and elaborate on that and on these rules and regulations, quoting previous rabbis uh, to support their position. This is, I'm saying this, and, and Rabbi Hillel said that, and Rabbi Gamaliel said that, and they would quote these, these, these men to say that that's why I am right in my, my uh, deductions and my, my application. Instead of turning to the Scriptures, instead of turning to the law. And so the question for us is, are we more devoted to reading, to studying the messages and teachings of our favorite pastors and teachers rather than studying the scriptures. In a, in a spiritual discussion, do you refer to a renowned pastor or teacher as your authority for what you are saying rather than pointing them to scriptures. I'm saying this because that's what the Bible says. Are you a good Berean? Comparing what you are taught, not with what others have said, but with the Bible, the Word of God, to see if what is being said is true. I think... Just in our day and age where, where preaching is, is often dismissed as, uh, as irrelevant and especially expository preaching is so rare. Expository preaching is the key to prevent this from happening. When the preacher stands in front of you and he takes the scriptures and he reads the scriptures and then he explains the scriptures and he applies the scriptures and you can follow along and say, well, what he says is here. I can see it here. And, and if I don't agree, I can ask him. I can point back to this. Expository preaching is essential in our day and age to prevent us from moving away from the text to the teachings of men, from the text to traditions, to, to holding views that are not 
firmly founded on the Word of God. And when we stray and when we start to slip on this, then the traditions of men, the teachings and philosophies of men sometimes are being held equal in authority to the Scriptures. And we are began on the path that leads us from the text to tradition. And when you're there, soon you move from the tradition to transgressing the very Word of God. And that's what we see in the next verse. From tradition to transgression, verse, verses 3 to 6. And he answered them and said, Why do you yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to father and mother, Whatever you might benefit from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. And by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so Jesus, they came to him and they asked him a question and Jesus did not answer them. He did not refer to his disciples. He did not defend his disciples. But he vindicated them by asking them a question, which was a common way of discussions back in that, way, that time. And he's pointing out their transgression, not merely of a tradition, but of the actual law of God. Why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He said, you have it the wrong way around. It is not your traditions, not your hedge, not your fence that are important. Not your rules and regulations that are derived from the Lord. That is, that has the highest authority. It is the Word of God that has the highest authority. And exchanging the Word of God for man-made traditions or teachings, that is transgression. He's asking them, how can you exchange the infallible Word of God for the fallible words of men? And in supporting his charge, he points them to another tradition, uh, From the Word of God, not from another rabbi, not from another teacher, but from the Word of God. And he went straight to the heart of the law, the Ten Commandments. And to the one in the middle, the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother. Exodus 20, 12 and Deuteronomy 5, 16. Honor means to respect, to hold in high regard, to, to recognize their worth to treat them accordingly, to, to love them as those placed over them. Uh, it includes the idea of caring for your one's parents when they are old and frail and are not able to care for themselves. Show them respect, appreciation by looking after their needs because they have looked after your needs when you could not take care of yourself. And Paul points out that this is the first commandment with a promise. The promise of long life. So really the Pharisees should have been all over this to obey this because there's a promise in that for long life in the land. Jesus also said, he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. And so those who curse or speak evil against father and mother, those who insult or revile, who speaks poorly or badly of them, speaks in a way that dismisses them, that diminishes them, speak in a way that if the, that that shows them to be insignificant to you, you belittle them or treat them with contempt, they will, literally it means, they will die the death. They will be put to death. They should be put to death. That's a, that was the, 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 the judicial determination for those who would do such a thing. As we see in Exodus 21.16 and Leviticus 29. And so that should be another motivation for the Pharisees to have kept this commandment because there's a threat of death for breaking the word of God in that regard. And so Jesus pointed out that these verses are clear commandments of God, but their traditions enable people to disobey that, to transgress that commandment lawfully in their minds. Verse 5, he says, but you say, Jesus pointing at, 
God said this, but you say, your, your elders say, your, your traditions say. When anyone says to his father or mother that whatever I have, whatever I uh, have that could have been used to help you, I devoted it to God. I've dedicated to God. It is korban. Uh, read that in, in, in the parallel passage in Mark 7, 11. They say, because I've devoted it to God, you, I'm free from using it to help you, free from this obligation of the law of God about parents. The word korban really describes something as, as being offered or dedicated to God. And, and really, it's, it's, uh, what, what would happen is they would, they would uh, uh, give it, bring it to the temple, really, uh, and say, this is, this is set apart for God. And this enables those who, who are so inclined to somehow wiggle their way out of their obligation towards their parents by just declaring carbon over their possessions. And so the Jewish leaders had this tradition, this rule, this regulation, that if someone pledged money to God, money or possessions, or any of the material resources to God, to the temple and to its service, then that money had to be turned over to the temple upon their death and could not be given to anyone else, ever. And so a person who made a pledge could still use that money in his life, but they were forbidden to give it to anyone else because it was now korban, a gift for God, set aside for God. And so the tradition was held so strongly that even if a man made a rash vow and found out later that his aging mother and father are in need of his financial help, he was forbidden by rabbinical law to give anything to them that he has declared korban, that he has pronounced korban. And so to declare something korban seemed to be very pious and very religious and very spiritual, but really it was a mask for greed. And he showed them, Jesus showed them how sinful their religious traditions, their rules, their regulations had become. That it enabled people to actually disobey the direct word of God. And what about us today? Do we have traditions or the teaching of men that cause people to transgress the word of God? Definitely, and, and, and there, are, there are many. Uh, I thought of, of maybe the, the biggest ones, uh, perhaps the one that stands out clearest in my mind, first came to me is the Roman Catholic Church. They, who holds church tradition as to be an equal authority to the Word of God. In fact, I would say above the Word of God because they say you need to interpret the Word of God through their church traditions. And so the teaching on the Eucharist, that when the elements that actually the priest commands Christ to come out of heaven and to embody the very elements so that every time they have... Uh, Eucharist, they are actually crucifying Christ again because it's physically here in the present, uh, present in the elements. The prayer to Mary, another tradition, a teaching of men that violates Scripture. Their work salvation, having to keep the sacraments in order to be saved. Purgatory, another teaching of man. And of course, we can add to the Roman Catholic Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, you name it. Anyone who had teachings of men that is elevated to a degree in the church where by practicing that, you are actually going against the Word of God. But it's not only these sort of uh, unchristian churches, if I can call it that, uh, but even the Pentecost church, which elevates the speaking in tongues to be an evidence of salvation. And you, do, you, you are not seen to be saved unless you are able to speak in tongues. That's a tradition of men 
elevated above the word of God. We talk about the no lordship gospel, that when Jesus accepted or the, 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 the message that say you can accept Jesus as your savior, but you do not have to accept him as your Lord. And so you can pretty much live as you like. You just had to pray the prayer, walk the aisle, sign the card, and you're in. Well, there are many others, prosperity gospel, the social gospel, the wokeness, all of that's involved with that, just liberalism that denies the supernatural events in Scripture, saying it can all be explained scientifically. But something maybe a little bit closer to us is things like theistic evolution. Whereas people say, well, you know, I believe God created, but he used evolution to create. And so those six days in Genesis are not six literal days of creation, but they are periods of time, millions of years that God used to create. That is a violation of the gospel. Go and read Romans 5, where it says, through one man sin into the world and through sin, death. Death is not just part of the normal cycle of life that from billions of years ago, people die and, and, and their, their, their bodies decompose and the, the nitrogen in us gives life to a new form. And so it goes on and goes. No, it was only when Adam was a real historical person died because he sinned. And so to deny that is to deny the gospel. And we can go on. There are so many other things. Is even in everyday practical life, is is when we hold to certain practices, or we decide to favor the teachings of men over the scriptures. And we need to be careful. I mean, I need to be careful here. Um, but one that may be very relevant to us, being a church of young families, if you choose. You follow the wisdom in men in parenting your child over the scriptures. You are on the wrong path. You are moving from the text to tradition and from tradition to transgression. And so the list goes on. The list goes on. And not only does tradition lead you to transgression, but it also takes you to a very treacherous place, from tradition to treachery. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Hypocrites. You phonies, you false people, you actors. That is what the word meant. Someone who plays a role, someone who acts a part. And Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13 to be applicable to them, to those who would hold to the traditions above the word of God. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They pretended to worship, to be devoted to, to God, pardon me. <clears throat> when in reality they were devoted to themselves, to their own reputation, to their own status, to their own position in society as those who are super spiritual because look at them. And that's the problem with tradition because it deceives us the treachery of tradition is twofold. It, it, it deceives others. It allows to a display of spirituality that is not true. That is not real. That is false. And it also deceives self into thinking that faithfulness to these traditions, faithfulness to the teaching of men amounts to actually worshiping God. And that's why I think the deepest and darkest pits of hell is reserved for those who teach falsehood. Who lead the people of God away from the truth. 
away from the Word of God. And that is the treachery of tradition. These scribes and Pharisees, their devotion was false. They honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. The tradition of the elders allowed these scribes and Pharisees to display a spirituality that is not true, that is not real, that were false. It became a badge, a badge for their spirituality. Look at me, I am devoted to God. And it's substitute for a real relationship with God. The Pharisees and scribes fooled people into thinking they were super spiritual, deeply religious. And the really sad thing is I think they fooled themselves into thinking that. Thinking they were close to God, devoted to God, but in reality they were far from Him. Their hearts were distant from Him. And so the treachery of tradition Bad tradition, teachings of men, the rules and regulations of religion enables an outward display, an outward show of spirituality that they did not really possess. That was not who they were. And they will be among those whom Jesus proclaimed in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did in your name did we not prophesy? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name do many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice Lawlessness, you transgressors. And in the eyes of men, these religious people, they were the most religious of all people. Yet the whole time, they never experienced a genuine relationship with God through faith. And that can be true of us as well doing religious things, keeping certain teachings, holding to them. But our hearts are far from the Lord. And on that dreadful day, there will be among those who will hear those words of Jesus from among the scribes and the Pharisees. And there will be those from every generation throughout the history of the church, men and women who practice the rights of religion, religiously, but lacks true, vital, fruit-bearing, life-giving relationship with Christ. And I pray most fervently that there will be none of us in that day who will hear those words. Because it's easy to fall in a false sense of relationship through the practice of these religious traditions. Easy to judge ourselves to be close to God because I am so faithful to these things. When in fact our hearts are far from Him and we do not have a real relationship with Him. Religious traditions can also give us a sense of as I said, a false relationship, but also a false sense of worship, giving us the impression that we are actually worshiping God when we do these things and we hold these things and we practice these things. But in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. The scribes and Pharisees thought that their fastidious practice and proclamation of these traditions is an act of worship to God. But Jesus says, true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. John 4, verse 23 and 24. Spirit, that is 
the inner man, that is the real view, the spirit of man, and truth, that is the word of God. True worshipers, worship comes from the spirit based upon and ignited by the truth. If you do not have the truth, if you do not worship God in truth, you are not worshiping God. So it's the word of God that determines our worship. And we are very careful here to choose our songs well so that the words that we sing reflects truth. And these scribes and Pharisees sought to rebuke Jesus. But actually Jesus turned around. They wanted to rebuke him for being false, for not being the Messiah, for being a bad rabbi. But Jesus returned and rebuked them, exposed their falsehood, their false spirituality, their false worship. And so let us examine ourselves this morning. Do we hold to any religious traditions, any teachings of men and have elevated them above the Word of God? Have we substituted the clear Word of God for the teachings of men? Has our religious activities replaced the relationship that we can have with Jesus. Do we worship him in spirit and in truth? So beware of the religious road that leads to ruination. Turn away from the path that leads from the text to tradition. Reject the, that tradition that would cause you to transgress. Reject the tradition that tricks you into treason, betraying the Lord by worshipping other things rather than Him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us this morning. We pray, Father, that you would uh, impress these words upon our heart. I pray, Lord, that each of us would go and we would look at the Scriptures and we would examine them, test them against your Word to see if what has been said is true. And, Lord, if it is true and we stand convicted, that we would repent and return to you. So, Father, help us in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.